we get taken in the fucking night. These men come in, they take us in the fucking night like we're being kidnapped. They're not telling you where you're going. They're not giving you any answers. They're just dead quiet. They took me to the middle of this neighborhood. It looked like a totally normal house on a totally normal street. Scary as fuck. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bunny Hugs and Mental Health, a free, safe space for people to share and learn from others' experiences with mental health and addictions. I'm Todd Renabaum, a suicide attempt survivor and a recovering substance abuser. Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode, and if this is your first episode ever, welcome, and I hope you enjoy. And uh, you know what? You can also go on to YouTube, uh, Bunny Hugs and Mental Health channel there, and you can watch these interviews there now. I've been working really hard for the last little while here, getting it up and going, and just the last few days I've been posting videos like crazy, so go check those out. In fact, if you subscribe, you'll be entered to win $50 from Co-op between now and November 16th, 2023. Hey, I've got a wonderful episode here this week with Amy Ronhar. Uh, She's a new author. Her book is called Raising Amy. You can check that out. I'll put a link in the in the show notes there, uh, she grew up with a lovely mother and her parents passed away by the time she was 10 and she had to go to a new family and and this new family, well, they weren't very kind to her, let's put it that way. In fact, even at one point, uh, her, her guardians let basically a cult come in and kidnap her in the middle of the night and take her away. But she, she came back and now she's telling her story about all of that and about some of the issues she had after leaving that family. And yeah, just getting through life. So if you're struggling or you know someone's struggling or if you've gone through a rough patch in life, uh, she's got a very inspiring story for you. There's going to be more episodes all the time coming, so stay tuned for that. Uh, some could be in the middle of the week. I'm not sure. Um, I'm, I'm in a real growing process right now with the podcast, so uh, just bear with me and just know that lots of great stuff is happening. Uh, but anyway, without further ado, I give you Amy Ronhar. It's just exhausting, not because of the um, subject matter, but just getting people interested in it because I'm not a celebrity. I'm not... I'm not famous. And this is a big time for women's memoirs. Like obviously Brittany has her memoir, Julia Fox has her memoir and Hillary Burton has a book. And then all these other people just drop memoirs. And so it's a big thing right now. And I'm not, you know, I don't have a team of people pushing it. I don't have marketing. I don't have any of that. So that's mm-hmm. the exhausting part is just getting myself out there on my own. Right. Which to me is just as important as some celebrity who does have a team like, <laughs> like my, my kids book here i don't think i've made a dime on it i think i've broken even yeah <laughs> but, but which was satisfying enough it's like okay that's you know i didn't want to lose money on it but i, I just wanted people to to have a nice book and yeah and it's gonna paid. live on forever now so that's right that's right your book is it's in the universe forever now it's in the universe forever which is so, all i wanted so tell me a bit about what exactly is your book about and in your mental health like why why a mental health podcast clearly well, there's some trauma and mental health uh subject yeah. matter yeah well um there's definitely a lot of mental health subject matter i have been a patient i've been in therapy for 5 years now so i can recognize mental and behavioral health and like the difficult 
everyday practice and journey that it is. And um, writing this book and putting it out there for the world, that definitely did a lot for my mental health. It was a choice. And um, definitely, I had to work on my book like with my therapist, like I had to like talk to her as part of the process because it's cathartic, but it's also, yeah, it's extremely difficult to like, especially when you don't have a team of people helping you, I have to relive these things every single day, pretty much like I'm rereading this every day. So it just got to the point where I was like, I, I honestly can't work on it any longer. I just have to like move on. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, now that I'm going to be 30 next year. And so it felt like it was time and it felt like I had so much to put behind me, but I'm ready finally to put that behind me. Right. Yep. Uh oh, check, check, check. Okay. Yeah. So there, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's very healing to write it, but as we know with physical things, it's sometimes healing is also very painful. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, uh, you yeah. know, like even a scratch will get very, very itchy while it's healing. And <laughs> you know, so, yes. Yes. so yeah, I fully understand uh, how, how that would be cathartic, but also painful at the same time. So, mm -hmm. um, so maybe tell, tell, tell me a bit about the book and well, like your story. Yeah. My story. Jeez. Um, yeah. Raising Amy. Um, I, pretty much became the surviving member of my family at 10 years old. And um, I saw that. What, what does that mean? Um, well, I mean, if you read the book, it kind of explains everything. But um, by the time I was 10 years old, um, all the men in my family were passed away. Um, my father, you know, kind of up and left basically figuratively dead, you could say. And at this mm. point, I mean, dead for all I know. Um, my sister did the same. And, um, so yeah, I was pretty much abandoned and left alone on the planet at 10. Um, I had guardians later on who, sorry, where was your mom? My mom had passed away at that point. Um, okay. yeah, my mom and her mom both passed away within eight weeks of each other. And, um, yeah, so it was just a lot, a lot of trauma, a lot of grief, a lot of things I didn't even know about that existed in the world happening to me at one point and um, was not able to reconcile with any of that for a long time, a very long time. I suppose, yeah, being 10 years old, it's, it's like uh, you're just worried about where you're going to have your next meal, let alone trying to process grief and abandonment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't even honest, I didn't even know what grief was for, mm -hmm. for many years. So that was something in and of itself. And I spent a lot of my childhood thinking, um, you know, that something was wrong with me that I had issues and I needed to be like locked away. And like, it was just like, so horrible. <laughs> hmm. Uh, what made you, why did you think you had to be locked away? Oh, well, because I mean, when you're, I mean, I was a kid, I was just like acting out. I was being like angry and, you know, I yelled at everybody and I hated the world and, um, I had no idea what I was going to do. And, um, 
So you were kind of looking around at other people's behaviors and lives, and you're like, um, I'm not like them, yet I also can't help but control my feelings. So, so then I just thought, had no something's I, wrong with me. Yeah, I had no idea what to do. And then, like, I got guardian parents, and they mm-hmm. um, were very nice. And they basically told me that I something was wrong with me and that I acted out. I probably, they accused me of having um, many, many serious disorders that were not true, you know, just because I was angry and just because I was, you know what I mean? Or any type of emotional response was like, Oh my gosh, we need to like send you away. We need to put you on medication. We need to do something. And really that was never the case. And so, yeah, I spent a long time thinking like I was just completely screwed up and something was wrong with me. I had no idea. Like, Hmm. yeah. And that affected me for a long time and how I saw myself for sure. So were you, were your guardians, did you know them beforehand or was it just like some strangers? Um, no, I did know them beforehand. And it was actually one of my mom's best friends that she had known for like 40 years and had grown up with. And I, when I was, I had known him. And so I thought he was cool. And because my mom loved him, I loved him. And so um, when my mom past i initially was like oh okay like i'll go this is where i'll go and then it just quickly turned so sour and Hmm. volatile and scary and um so i only lived with them for uh maybe seven years before i just like finally took off and decided to be on my own just for good. I was just like, I'd rather take my chances of being on my own than like try to live with these people. And living with them, do you, uh, were you diagnosed with anything or, or you just, um, just absorbed a bunch of trauma? No, I just absorbed a bunch of trauma. I wasn't, they took me to people, but I was never diagnosed with anything. I do have a memory of like, one time they did try to get me to take medication, but they almost, in my memory, it's like they almost used it as like a way to guilt me where like, I remember I, I had acted out and they pulled out these pills and were like, you need to take these pills now. Da, 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 da. And I was like, Oh my God. And so I like freaked out because I was like, I can't believe something's so wrong with me right now that like, uh, you know, I'm just a kid and I'm like, I can't believe something's so wrong with me. You guys are telling me I have to take this for the rest of my life. And like, I don't even know what it is or what you're telling me I have or what you're telling me is wrong. And now you're saying, if I don't take these, I'm going to like act out and be someone completely different. It was just a lot. It was so much to process and having nobody around me to like guide me or tell me otherwise. It was just, and because I had trusted I trusted this person because my mom trusted this person. And I'm thinking if my mom trusts this man and his wife enough to take care of me, then I need to listen to what they're telling me. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where it all came from. And so, yeah, after like seven or eight years, once I got closer to being an adult, I was just like something in my gut told me just like, (laughs) just turn around and leave and don't go back. Hmm. So you don't know what those pills were to this day? No, I have no idea what those were. I just remember them pulling out a bottle and I remember being in their bedroom and they pulled out this bottle and I remember them kind of like cornering me and being like, you got to take these. And I don't even remember if I, if I did end up taking them or not, but I remember them cornering me about it and saying all of that. And I was just like, 
what the fuck? You know? Yeah. You can swear. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> cool. Okay, cool. Um, were, were you close to your mom then? Was she Extremely, like... Extremely, yeah. That's yeah. why the whole book is pretty much about about her she's on the cover that's the cover of my book that that's me and my mom and um her name's arlisa um the book is split into three parts it's my memoir but it's told in three parts and the first part is those 10 years i spent with my mom and my grandma when my family was alive and when my sister was around and then the second part of the memoir is uh my mom's life and then the third part is raising Amy and it's everything in a nutshell over the last 20 years. Hmm. Uh, so you said you trusted them because your mom trusted them. Mm -hmm. Was that trust right up until like near the end when you're like, I got to get out of here or were you questioning that trust throughout? Oh, I was questioning it pretty much right away and it just built everything just built. And then when I was, um, it got to the point where, um, I almost just couldn't even be in the same room as these people. I just stayed in my room and tried to avoid and, um, did they have kids? Yes. I, and I uh, briefly did mention all who was around, but there's no names or anything like that in the, in the book. But, um, yeah, when I, so when my mom passed, it was, um, my sister and I, and then we went to live with her friend and his wife. He had two children already that were older than my sister and I. Mm -hmm. And then, um, they also had a child, a baby that came after I moved out, but they do have a, they did end up having a baby <clears throat> later on. And so, yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so your sister did move to, to the, with this other. Yeah. My sister came too, but she distanced herself from me like right away and just like shut herself off from me. Didn't want anything to do with me. Mm -hmm. That was kind of, she processed things in a very different way. She went inward. I went outward. Right. Okay. So she experienced a lot of the same traumas and stuff. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That, like living with them. Like, do, do you mind well, talking our a bit? Living about with them was a very different experience because of our behavior. So because yeah. I was very outward, um, that provoked a lot, especially out of, um, the, let's call him the dad of the family for lack of a better, you know, cause I just, I'm not going to use names, <laughs> but, um, the father that, figure. <laughs> yes. Yes. The guardian dad, I usually say, but, um, right. Right. He, it provoked a lot of, in, of anger in him and, um, in his, you know, in his kids in his sister in his wife, just in everyone else that kind of provoked a lot out of them. And then, whereas my sister was very inward, she was tight lipped. She did everything she was told exactly how she was told to do it. She didn't question anything. She didn't want to know anything. She didn't want to be, you know, part of the drama you could say. And so, um, even though it would have been a vital point for her to have stepped in and done anything at any point in time that just wasn't her mm, so she was just trying to get through as well she's dealing with everything mm -hmm. she's probably feeling resentment seeing you act up she's like fuck why can't amy just shut up and just oh yeah be 
good so we can just get through this chunk of our lives. Yeah, why does it always have to be something with her? Yeah. Huh. So, um, actually, to go back a bit to talk about your mom, I know you yeah. you kind of talk about uh, some generational trauma before mm-hmm. you even are born yet. Do, do you want to maybe just set the set oh, the what scene do you a bit? Mean? Uh, didn't you? I, I am I wrong? I'm oh, sorry. No, no. <laughs> did you're did good. you talk a little bit about like your mom's? growing up and her parents and wasn't there a little bit of um oh well i mean when my mom grew up um really well but when um she was i mean younger she just became a more of a rebel and um um I think more of the trauma came just like right after i was born because her dad died and then she had this cousin who got married and died really young really quick and it it was like all within weeks of, of each other that she got married and died and she was really young. And then my mom's mom or my mom's grandma died. And then my mom's mom died like all right after each other. And she just like right. lost her shit. And like, and she was a single mom at that point And just, and now she had okay. nobody. And it was like, you know, that's where the chaos pretty much started. And I was only like, eight or nine as everybody's starting to like die and everything's happening and my mom's like freaking out and so and yeah like when i was born all the men were gone is what it was and so Mm. just my mom's dad had died i think of a heart attack and then her grandpa had died um not really sure how to be honest and then yeah she just had all the men were were already long gone by that point okay so she's dealing with her own stuff. She's single. Her husband's left. Uh, and then she dies. And yeah. okay. So now you're like, uh, yeah, like you said, the, the sole survivor in a way. Yeah. Um, do you mind talking a little bit about what the living situation was? I mean, you kind of, I mean, I'm trying to say nicely, but also I don't, wanna, I don't want to feel like I'm exploiting anyone ever. Or that I'm trying to create trauma porn. No, say whatever you want to say. It's all good. Uh, like I, I just hold back with me. I'm curious what what traumas that you experienced with that other family. If it was oh. like, was there physical abuse? Was there like uh, neglect or? Yeah, there was a lot. Um, and I did. Yeah, everything. Everything's in the book, too. So it's just like mm-hmm. I put everything out there and re- let it all go. And um, yeah, I uh, when I moved in with this family, it became a lot of anger. And it was like, I want to say physical abuse, but it wasn't like hitting and like kicking and stuff. Although there was like, you know, like slapping intimidation and things and- like that, you know, but it was a lot he had this thing where he liked to do where he was a big man, very big man, like six, I want to say like six, two, maybe taller and like 250 fucking pounds, maybe bigger. And he was huge, very top heavy, just a big guy. And, um, he did this thing where he would just pin me against a wall with his forehead and just put his fist right here and pin me and just hold me there and just scream in my face and wouldn't let me, you know, move. And so it was a very like, 
oh, in my body. I feel it in my body. Even I can hear it. My, my voice is like trembling and I can feel my whole gut like tense up right now when I did that. <laughs> oh, so weird. Oh, so weird. The body just remembers. Ugh. But um, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's what he would do. That was his thing. And so it wasn't necessarily like I would get my ass beat. And he would do this thing, too, where he liked to um, whistle down the hallway and like tap along my bedroom walls. And then he'd come in and just scream at me, fuck with me call me names, just fuck with shit in my room, just come in and be a dick and then go leave or go in and like be a dick and start shit. Oh my gosh. I can hear my voice. It's like shaky. I can hear it. (laughs) Are you ready to promote the book? (laughs) I can hear it. No, I can hear it. Uh, That's so wild. But yeah, he did. So it was like weird shit like Mm. that. And so um, just still in initiating as much fear as possible without leaving marks behind. Right. Physical <laughs> marks. Right. So he's just the big intimidating bully asshole who didn't know how to control your emotions. And he too was then emotionally dysregulated. It sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not that I'm a professional or a doctor or anything. This is just kind of what I'm. You sound pretty spot on. It sounds pretty, <laughs> pretty spot on to me. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, do you know if if he grew up in a kind of a traumatic home or dr- oh, dramatic? Yes, yes. As mm, far okay. as far as I know, it was all trauma, all bad. Um, he experienced a lot of physical abuse. Um, wasn't very kind towards his wife. Um, his, his, uh, the mother of his children, I should say. And, um, that resulted in a very ugly divorce, which also traumatized his children. And I know that was a big reason his daughter specifically acted out towards me because she had a big thing about her dad, not getting time to like be with her dad before. So it was like one trauma happened and then right after another and she didn't really get to process it and like be with her dad and process that before we came along uh, and oh, and she right. did tell me that yeah she did tell me that at one point like she straight up did did tell me that that was the deal and so um the hatred was not a secret from anyone you know i knew i knew that's why towards the, it that's why it just built and i just i gave less of a fuck on how it behaved and i just was like okay Fuck you. What are you going to do? So did you feel like they they resented you before you even started acting out? So what the fuck? I'll just be an asshole then. (laughs) If you're going to resent me, then I may as well just do, you know. Do whatever I want. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. yeah. That's exactly how it became. And especially Mm. because, like, I still, like, the only real issues was that we weren't getting along. Like, I still wasn't doing anything more to fuel the fire besides just arguing and screaming and temperamental, you know, rage. And it wasn't, you know, there, I didn't add any substances to the fire. I didn't, I know that was, I know that the father figure did. I didn't, I, you know what I mean? And so I know I didn't do things like that. And I, I still went to school and I still tried to get good grades and do things like that. It was just at home, just that home life that was, really fucked up mm, okay because yeah that was going to be my next question was there other 
traumas or other problems and other spots in your life, but no. no, I mean, I had a little bit of trouble in school. Like I did get into like a girl fight when I was like 15, I got in a girl fight with someone and I got suspended for a couple days, but, um, that's normal teenage stuff. Yeah, it was just, pet, that's how, yeah, it was just petty girl name calling stuff. And we pulled each other's hair out. And what was her name? What was her name? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it was Nancy, wasn't it? Fucking Nancy's. <laughs> Fucking Nancy, dude. No, I and, um, yeah, but other than that, I mean, no, I was really good in school and I liked going to school and I loved my English teachers and, um, I loved my friends. I had a great time. And, and yeah, it just, I just mm. hate going home. <laughs> <laughs> and my sister wasn't there for me. So it wasn't like that made it any better. You know what I mean? I had no mm-hmm. one to back me at home. So, mm. so, so you end up graduating or may no, what did you leave first or graduate first? I left first, um, right before my senior year started. And then yeah. I, you know, made it with friends. I lived with friends and their parents, you know, let me stay with them. Um, I graduated home life with friends. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I won't lie. I think I definitely, um, they were short lived because I think I added a lot of, I mean, people already have stressful enough lives and I don't understand that yet because I'm a child. I'm a teenager. I don't know. And I think when I came into people's, houses at that time. I definitely, they were doing it out of the kindness of their hearts and trying to help me graduate, you know, but mm-hmm. I'm certain, I'm sure I added so much stress and unnecessary chaos to their houses when I came in because I'm just tearing through and I have no idea the scope of anything. Mm-hmm. And I don't even care to take a look at it. I'm just ripping through my teens and, um, yeah, but I did. I did eventually graduate. I graduated from Woodlake High School. They just like basically gave me a paper, and they were like, "If you take this around and have people sign, if you have your teacher sign it off, you're good to go. We, you have enough credits." Because I had been to it hmm, to go back. My guardians had sent me to a Utah. They had me like taken in the night and sent to Utah. And because and they do school year round. So because I had did that when I got out, I had enough credits when I went back to public school and I had left them to go graduate early. And so they were like, if you just get your teachers to sign off that you have passing grades right now, like school's over in like six weeks. So like you're good. Just get out. And I was like, peace. And so I didn't have any graduation. There wasn't anything like that. I was just like, I'm taking my credits. I'm getting out. Goodbye. So what what was in Utah? Just a private school that they could just send you to and be like, oh, it was it was a residential treatment facility illegally operated by people named Daniel and Zelfa. I will give the names. And that was I'm, just, in- I'm a little scared too. <laughs> <laughs> you can cut you can cut it, but it was in Cedar City, Utah. It was called Integrity House. I think it's shut down now. Paris Hilton is actually really vocal about this. She went to a oh. thing in Utah. She had a very similar experience. It's these like te- they're these teen attitude industry. I forget what the term is right now. It um but um Did you it- meet Paris? No, <laughs> I definitely had a similar, we had the same exact experience. And that's why I love that she's speaking out about it because um, it's really, 
fucking scary. And it happened. I know it happens to boys and boys go to like usually outdoor camps, but girls, um, we get taken in the fucking night. These men come in, they take us in the fucking night. Like we're being kidnapped and they take you. They're not telling you where you're going. They're not giving you any answers. They're just dead quiet, joking around, having laughs in the front seat while you're in the back seat, completely unaware of where you're going. And they take you, they took me to the middle of this neighborhood. It looked like a totally normal house on a totally normal street, scary as fuck. And they take me inside and I didn't get to walk back out on my own for almost a year. Wait. So this is a treatment place. Treatment for what? You weren't My diagnosed with anything. question, exactly, Todd. My question, exactly. I got, I mean, and it was just like I said, I came later to find out and uncover that this was an illegally operated place that had actually moved from Arizona and I think another city in Utah as well. These people had moved around and they'd actually taken some of these girls with them through these other cities to these other facilities. And um, it's like, honestly, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's arguably worse than prison because in prison, they don't care if you're talking, they don't care if you're reading, they even let you smoke fucking cigarettes sometimes. Like you can make friends. Like they don't give a shit if you want to look out the fucking window all day. They don't give a fuck. Mm -hmm. But here, every single thing you do is watched. It's recorded. It's written down in a little big binder with your fucking name on it. And a little big binder. I know. I realized as soon as I said it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I really thought I did it too. I was talking so, I mean, yeah, because I want to say a little binder, but then I'm thinking of it in my head. So I said big binder, but yeah. It was thick, but little. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Was, yeah. I, uh, sorry, that's how my brain works. Like, no, I said sorry. it. I realized as soon as I said it to it, I was like, damn, I really, I really. <laughs> Okay, I'm glad, I'm glad I didn't offend you with that because <laughs> no, I say stuff faster than my brain even says. <laughs> That's so, okay, so anyway, okay, sorry, sorry. So, so, <laughs> so is this place like religious based or what is it? Yes, just... Mormon, heavily, heavily, oh. heavily. Basically, the initial idea when you get in there after you're told like you're not getting out and blah 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 blah. It's um if. I believe one of the first things said to me was if I pray to the angel of Moroni, maybe I can get out sooner. And then the idea was that the girls that practice Mormonism are treated a lot nicer. They get a lot more privileges and they get more of an opportunity for people to vouch for you to get out and go home. Hmm. As basically, they're like low key, low, like emotionally blackmail you. Like, if you join, when you get out, if you come with us to the church, then you can get out of here and you can, you know, go be at home with your parents again. Fucked up. An entire year of that. 
Um, yeah, it was so fucking scary and rough. And I honestly had had no religious, my guardian dad, his sister tried to push uh, Christianity on me. She would take, make me read the Bible and take me to Bible stuff. And I was like, "Eh." but I still really just in my brain had no, it just went in one ear and out the other. And so when I went to Utah, it was sort of the same thing where I was just like, what the fuck? Like, what the fuck? You know, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. And I definitely prayed and would be like, please get me out of here. But I mostly prayed to my mom. Like, I would just beg my mom, like, mom, this is fucking crazy. Please see this. Please get me out of here. Like, what the fuck? And, um, yeah, I think, honestly, dude, November 22nd will be um like 13 years to the day 12 or 13 years to the day that i got out Hmm. this is uh yeah this is bananas absolutely fucking bananas huh okay so now (laughs) okay sorry i'm just processing and putting it's okay (laughs) so so then you go quote unquote home uh they they say fine you're graduated whatever we don't care here you go i i think it was because i i honestly blackmailed them i was almost 17 (laughs) and i was like if you i remember telling the guardian mom like if you don't get me out of here i will stay here until i'm 18 and i will take my chances when i'm an adult but you can get me out i said if if i was like i'll spend my 17th birthday in here but if you make me spend christmas in here I will stay here. I will never come home. I will just stay here forever and just we'll never don't even try anymore, basically. And I was like, you can just pay for me to stay here and I'll just fuck off. And I was out like three or four weeks later. So it wasn't like you graduated from the treatment place either. No, which is an impossible feat, by the way. If I I even explain it to you, oh my God. It's like they put dude. This is why I'm saying. They want you to join a cult, basically. I think, yeah, but and and like I said, everything is monitored, and so the idea of graduating this program, let me tell you, let me try to explain it and keep it short. But basically, you wake up during the day, you have five points, and if you can get through the whole day without breaking a single rule, then you can keep those five points and you carry those points to the next day. And if you can just keep doing that and build up your points then you can earn privileges. And once you earn like 6,000 fucking points and, you, and you've earned level six, you filed applications with all the people in the building, they've all met and discussed your application and approved it and gone over your points and gone over your binder and decided that cumulatively you can go home and they have a conversation with your parents about it, then you can fucking go home. But you will lose your five points for any consequence you receive that day. And you can receive a consequence for not asking to turn on a light switch, not asking to leave a room, looking out of the window without permission, speaking without permission, not eating all of your food, going to the bathroom for more than the allotted time, things like that. Amy, this sounds (laughs) completely reasonable. I don't know what your problem is. (laughs) You selfish bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just Amy asked to go in the room. So yeah, it was 
I'm getting thrown into like a boot camp. I'm getting kidnapped in the night. The day of my first track meet, I'm 16 years old. They come in my room and I remember it like so vividly. They walked in my room and turned on the light and I was like, what the fuck? Like I just woke up and was like, what the fuck? And these men came into my room, these big dudes that came in my room and they were like, you have to get up right now and get dressed and come with us, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, dude, I don't even have pants on. And they were like, get up and put your pants on. We're not leaving this room, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh my God. And they took me with them and then, yeah, I didn't come home for, for a year. Good Lord. So, okay. So then, so my sister was nowhere, nowhere, nowhere. Just so Mm. we're clear. She was nowhere at this time. So this all happened and it just crickets, Mm. crickets. One thing I've learned through my experience with mental health and addictions is you never know what you need to hear until you hear it. Make sure to rate and review on Apple and to tell as many people as you can about the podcast so others can hear something they need to hear from one of my guests. After all, this is a free mental health service, which is a rare thing. So why not share with as many people as you can? Today's episode of Bunny Hugs and Mental Health is brought to you by Co-op. I've been a member of my local co-op, Sherwood Co-op, for, oh, about 25 years, I think. My co-op is one of more than 150 local independent cooperative associations in more than 600 communities across Western Canada. Co-op is a different kind of business. It's not just a gas bar or a grocery store, although co-op is those things too. At its core, co-op is a group of people working together to help their neighbors and build their community. Co-op members are owners and success is shared with everyone. Your co-op doesn't benefit one person or one corporation. Your co-op was built for everyone. Your co-op was built for your community. Learn more about co-op and find a location near you at coop.crs. So, so okay, so then you do go home, you get your scholarship or whatever they call it diploma uh and you do you go back living with those people or are you like no, i'm gonna get a hotel I, no gonna- once i left them when i they i i got out of utah in november of 2011 and then i was like gone by the next summer and so mm. it was obviously not very long of my being home before it just i had to, you know what i mean i just mm-hmm. i had to leave for good and i just knew I knew that I had, I knew that I had no idea what I was doing, that I had no idea what was fucking out there. But I also, I felt so in my gut and my heart that if I did not leave, that that man was going to kill me or I was going to kill myself. And I was just like, fuck this. I'm going to try. And I just, And I remember him, one of the last conversations I had with him, um, he told me, he was like, no one's going to love you. No one's going to help you. No one's going to want you. You're fucked. You're fucked out there. And I was like, dude, I would rather be out there. You fucking weird old prick. Goodbye. Good fucking riddance. And (laughs) I take my chances. Yeah. I remember we both like flipped each other the bird as he's like tearing it up. And I was like, get the fuck out of here. And I was like, you know, I'm 17. I've got like a little bun in my hair and I'm like, get out of here. And it was just, he didn't talk. He didn't talk this way with any of the other kids. Um, no, nope. 
They didn't Jesus. provoke him like that. They did not get angry at him like that. It was like, mm. yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, daddy. Yes, sir. And mm. maybe I he, you're like, reflecting something he doesn't like about himself back to him. You know what? I think what? you might be onto something. <laughs> <laughs> maybe yeah. I am a doctor. I don't know. <laughs> Sounds like it, honestly. You're really onto it. Yeah. Well. So it was easy to leave. It was easy to say goodbye. It was easy to just be like, fuck that. And um Big hug goodbye. Best of luck. See ya. Yeah. And so yeah. And um <sighs> that was that on that. Boom. I, I just noticed how opposite our chapter. Goes. I got a light shirt, you got a dark shirt, I got a bat black background you gotta like this is nice this is it's very opposite yeah i like wow. your hat though too i love the hat just saying can you read it yeah. broken crayon still color i do love it yeah i just got it so i'm like all pumped <laughs> really really cool anyway uh, that was a bit of a squirrel moment there for me <laughs> <laughs> so so what was life like i mean did was was it all like better after you left or was there still like oh god <laughs> What have I done? No, What's I mean, going after, on? Yeah, I mean, after I was on my own, I mean, yeah, I thought it was all cool and fucking fun because I got to do whatever the fuck I wanted and I didn't have to fucking answer to anybody ever again for the rest <laughs> of my motherfucking life. And I was like living that up. But also because I don't have to answer to anybody ever again for the rest of my fucking life, I'm making crazy reckless decisions and nobody's <laughs> telling me that these are crazy reckless decisions and people are trying to tell me, but I'm just like not hearing it. And um, what extreme to the next. It's like, <laughs> yeah, that was pretty much after that. Once I was an adult, it was like drugs and sex and all bad things. Rock and roll. Yep. Sex, drugs and rock and roll. Pure. <laughs> just, yeah. Wildness and not good. And, um, uh, yeah, it just wasn't, it wasn't the coolest. It wasn't the coolest time in my life. I should say. <laughs> right. Right. But at the time, did you think it was the coolest time of your life? I no? don't know. Yeah, I, I hear you. did honestly, but I probably secretly was also like, there's gotta be more than this. Right. Yeah. I hear you. I, I, I go around and, public speaking and i talk about my story all the time and it's like that chunk of my life span too like when i first left home and stuff it was kind of a similar 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 lifestyle and it was like i was having the time of my life yeah but i was also miserable and it was like yes it was, it was yeah like, and you you you're pretending you're so happy and like yeah yeah man but you're just like only doing that because you're not happy yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so, so what changed? What what was the turning point? Or have you gotten there yet? <laughs> um, no, I've definitely got there. I mean, the turning point didn't happen. I mean, I left that family and all the fucking shit, and I left my sister behind for good when I was seventeen. And um, I think the turning point didn't come for a long time until I was maybe. 23 or 24 and so it was a lot of years of just up and down turmoil like i can't keep a job i can't stay in the same city i can't stay in the same living situation um i can't keep fucking friends like i'm just blowing it everywhere you know what i mean and then um 
when I was 23, I got pregnant and, um, it was a time in my life when I was doing a lot of drugs and I was in a bad relationship and, uh, so bad. And so I made the decision to have an abortion and, um, that happened and that was sort of a turning point for me. And I decided after that, you know, I could go, I could still go to college. I could turn my life around. Like this doesn't have to be, you know what I mean? Whoa. Um, and then I fucking got pregnant again in the mm. same year and I had to have another same guy? abortion. No, different okay. guys. And, um, it was a lot. And then after that, I was like, full stop, full stop. This is fucking a lot. This is a lot. And, um, so after that, and that was about four or five years ago now, uh, mm. five years ago. And so, um, that was when the official turning point happened. And it was like, I had already been done with drugs, but now I was like, I'm, I'm for real. Like I'm going forward. It's never going to be a thing again. I'm done with the reckless sex. I'm done with the reckless life. I'm done not caring for myself. I'm done driving my life into the ground. Um, I didn't want to, I thought a lot about my mom and I just, especially going through those abortions, it was like, that's really serious. And it's very mm -hmm. uncomfortable for a lot of people to even hear about and talk about and let alone experience. And, um, I just thought a lot about my mom and my grandma and what they would be telling me and what they would be doing in that moment. And, um, that really helped me turn things around because I didn't feel like my mom was, I did not hear my, my mom and grandma or any of my ancestors in my ear angry at me, ashamed of me. I did not hear any of that. I did not hear that. I, I did not hear that. And I heard, you know, I just heard voices of courage. I heard voices of. Mm, I see. I don't know what the word is, but just, yeah. And just fighting through that shame, like just fucking, it was so hard, but you know, I just had to like, you know, tear it, tear through it little by little. And, um, that well, was when I truly turned it around. To be honest with you, I've been wanting to do an episode on abortion for a while. And I even had someone booked and then they have mental health issues and they kind of back down. But, yeah. um, I like we're kind of <laughs> grazing over it a little bit, but so I want to come back to it. But yeah, I, I imagine that's not an easy decision. And I've talked to people about abortion before, just not on the podcast and the amount of regret or guilt or shame. And it's like, it's, it's, I, I like, I, I thank you so much for being so vulnerable and talking about all of this stuff, but yeah. um, do you mind just kind of touching on, on, on that a bit? No, not at all. I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. And I know that sounds kind of weird, but I just, I don't want women to be ashamed. Um, 
you know what? And these fucking people came to my school at Fresno City College and they were had the big burning baby signs. And I stood up in front of my whole school and I told them this is not what it looks like. This is not what happens. This is not the case. And I did have people come up to me and they were like, you are sick. You're going to burn in hell. And I was like, OK, I'll be there picking you up. Like, get real. Get real. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. stop. And <clears throat> No, it wasn't an it wasn't an, it was an easy decision in a sense because I knew there's no fucking way I can be a parent. And mm -hmm. I knew that to me the most like maternal loving thing I can do for this, you know, baby, Soul, so to whatever. speak. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to send it back. You know, I'm just going to send it back. I can't take care of you. And as someone who's been placed in the hands of someone who I thought was going to care for me and did not, I'm not going, I'm not willing to do that again. And I'm not willing to do that to someone else. And I'm not going to have a child unless I can care for that child. And that's just going to be that on that. And I didn't plan on it. It was really, and, and it was, yeah, it was but I learned a lot about myself and um, I was lucky. Whoa. Vroom, vroom. Sorry. What? Vroom, vroom. I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Fucking Fresno. <laughs> Fucking Fresno, dude. People got to ring, ring all over the town. I'm like, get your freaking brat brabs out of here on fucking. We're in Fresno. Like, get real. <laughs> nothing, nothing to. Uh cut the subject matter of abortion like <laughs> I know <laughs> oh my god okay. anyway we were getting deep anyway, and emotional for we were getting deep yeah we were getting deep no it was uh no it wasn't an easy easy decision i was just saying i was lucky because um I know that there's a lot of people in this country that can't make that decision, or I think they're even trying right now. I think I saw something the other day. They're trying to like prevent women from even leaving the cities to get abortions. And it's, it's absolutely fucking insane to me. I can't even begin to like mm -hmm. <laughs> process that, that little nugget of anger right there. Just about that. Because yeah, as I've, ex as I've experienced it, I just can't imagine the people who, I called Planned Parenthood and they helped me. There were the most amazing women by my side and it wasn't easy, but it was easier because of those small little things. And mm. um, I know that there's so many women out there who just don't have that or who weren't even able to get an abortion, who wanted an abortion and couldn't get one or were too scared to get one or whatever. They got guilted into having their baby or whatever. And it's intense. I mean, it's very fucking intense. And uh, yeah, I don't like getting too political at times, but it, it just drives me nuts that the people that are pushing pro-life are also the people pushing, like taking away social programming for people that can't have babies or can't afford to have babies or aren't in, you know, the right places or spaces in yeah. their life to have babies. Well, and I think pregnant women too, like where's their fucking concern in healthcare too? Like the healthcare system is shit. And now you want to put like I, when I was mm. carrying a, a thing inside me and it's growing a potential child, I was sicker than I'd ever been in my life. And my body has never 
recovered. And I didn't even carry that child to term. And so mm -hmm. I can't even fucking imagine what women who are, who are carrying, delivering, home delivering, natural delivering, multiple babies, all of it. I can't even imagine these things that are going on. And I'm like, are you even fucking taking care of them and their kids? I don't think so. So like, why are you forcing all of this to happen? And then overturn the world in the meantime it just doesn't make any sense or add up to me mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah i mean i have theories but i don't want to i don't want to yeah lose. no it's hard not to be political <laughs> but it's like yeah it's like yeah, yeah. it's being made into a political thing and it's just hard yeah 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 so so you hit that turning point we did you, hit the turning point you're like uh, so it was after your second abortion and you started to find that voice from your grandmother and mother again and it's it's not shame it's not lecturing it's it's just support and love it's just support and love and i just knew that my friend actually also told me she's sort of a medium and she told me that uh i shouldn't say sort of she is a medium i'm not trying mm. to discredit her she is a medium she's a Push, little... pushing a large extra large <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> that was funny. And um, she had a vision of my mom. She was like, your mom's sending me a vision of her holding a baby. Do you know what that means? And I was like, at first I was like, no. She's like, are there children in your future? And I was like, no. And then I was like, actually, I understand what you're telling me. And so, and she just told me that like just a few weeks ago. And so to me, mm. that was my, yeah, that was my mom saying that like, she has my baby and, um, and I don't know why she only showed me one, but that's fine. And, um, uh, yeah, so, so I reached a turning point after that. I had already started raising Amy after that. I had my first abortion and then, um, I want to say it was 2016 or 17. And then the summer right after I started working on this book and then the following winter, uh, I went through the same fucking thing. And so I was just like, fuck. And then, um, but the drugs were gone. I put the abortion shit behind me. I just did my best to move on and take care of myself. Honestly, I got birth control. I did all the things I got off the sex, got off the bad dudes, all of it. And, um, changed my last name. Um, excuse, <coughs> excuse me. Um, I changed my last name from my father's to my mom's. And so that's mm -hmm. why I'm Amy Ron Har now. And, um, I went back to school and kept working on the book and just slowly started just slowly. And it's been a daily fucking thing. I went to therapy. I got into, um, I do DBT dialectical behavioral therapy. Um, I've been doing that since, um, like early spring of 2019, which is r mm. just a couple months after I had my second abortion. And so I've been in therapy ever since. And, um, that's helped me exponentially in my life. <laughs> So yeah, it's just been only upward from there. It was a lot of downward, a lot of hopelessness, a lot of, am I ever going to fucking get up? And, um, yeah. Good, so. good on you. Um, I, I've just been doing some EMDR therapy. Nice. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. My, my wife is a body talk practitioner. I don't know if you know what body talk is. 
No, that sounds cool, oh, though. Oh, you're, you're not down with the new wave. <laughs> it, it's similar to like a Reiki kind of thing. There's like tapping. Oh, cool. And, okay. And the body holds trauma and things. Yeah, like that. yeah. Um, yeah. So, so what, what is D, say it again, the, the therapy you're doing? Dialectical behavioral therapy. Um, Basically, there's just like four, I forget what all four pillars are, but there's like four main things and it's about like, regulating your emotions, learning to respond and not react, you know, interpersonal mm-hmm. effectiveness, um, you know, learning things like that. I went to anger management um, not too long after that. And so it's just a lot. It's a, just a lot of that because I, I definitely realized that um, everything came out in the way I behaved and especially in my uh, romantic, seemingly romantic relationships that were like actually drug addled and abusive and angry and just people, two people helping each other repeat patterns. And so mm-hmm. I was just like, you know what? I need to get some fucking help. This is crazy. <laughs> this is crazy. And so, um, yeah. And that helped hmm. me. Yeah. And so here you are. Here I am. And I wrote um, a book about all the fucking shit. And I told the whole world <laughs> about all the horrible things I did. Well, bless you. I went through. <laughs> um, have you, do you still hold resentment to that family and to your sister? Or has there been any kind of, um, um what's the word? I mean, for? my sister and I are friends on Instagram and, um, I, I will always have love for her because, um, she was my sister when I was a baby and, um, she's my mom's child. She's the only other person on this planet that, um, shares her as a mom. And, um, you know, I respect that obviously and love her for that. My sister, you know, we're never going to have a relationship. I've come to kind of beyond Instagram, you know, I've, I've accepted that. Mm. Um, it hurts my feelings every day. It is a pain like no other. Um, I wish I had a sister. Is she near you? No, she's lived in New York for the last like 10 years and she's, uh, two years older than me and she'll be 32 or 33 next year. And, um, and like, you know, like I said, we both have very different ideas of what happened as kids. We both had very different experiences. Um, she, I will never be able to forgive her fully because she will never think that she did anything wrong or has anything to be sorry for. And so it's so much of me, even us being friends on Instagram, that's me being willing to, to do that. You know what I mean? And so, and she, she posts my face on her Instagram and she calls me her sister and it's very unsettling to be honest, but I don't really argue about it. And I just kind of let it, be I don't show her face. I don't say her name. I didn't name her in my book. She told me I could, but I didn't. And that's why those pictures I chose of her in my book are specifically where her back is turned um, or her head is turned. I put a photo of her with my mom in there, but her face is turned. Um, That's just my way of trying to protect her privacy. And, and um, have you ever considered maybe 
you're both kind of kind of like how your not your stepdad, whatever guardian dad. Yeah, your guardian dad was upset at you because there was a reflection back to him, and it's like she thinks you should be apologizing to her, and you think you should be apologizing to her, but it's just a big fucked up shitty situation, and you both are two different people that dealt with shit differently, and. And yeah, no, I, I think that is what I think we, I, I don't think she wants an apology from me because I don't think she cares and I'm never going to get an apology from her because yeah, she just doesn't care. And I don't think she thinks she did anything wrong. And it's not necessarily that I did anything wrong. It's just, yeah, we have two yeah different ideas of what happened. We handled things very differently and um had very different lives afterward because of that and you know she went to college she went to uc santa cruz and then moved to brooklyn and got like a degree and she's got a house now and she's fine and like i well struggled and you don't know her well enough to know know. she's emotionally mentally traumatized and this is uh, i personally do believe so honestly i do i do believe that perfect life is just a mask right yes and we only see what people want us to see which is true um and i do believe that um you know respectfully i think my sister just i think she does have um cognitive developmental issues because of what happened to us and i don't blame her for that at all which is how i'm even able to be here where we are now because it's definitely been a battle and there's definitely been times in our life where i like almost 10 years ago we got in some kind of text fight and i remember like letting it rip in a text and i was like you're the worst sister you're not my sister you're not my family like blah 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 and um because she didn't want to like come see me for christmas or something it was you know so it's been like a total uphill battle with her and we are where we are now and i tell her i've told her i love her and um these paintings are actually by her she oh. she she painted those. Those are actually by her, oh, and cool. um, so there's little things, you know. I she's there, but it's uh, just this. It's almost reverse where it's like, you know. I even said in the book, like she kept an arm's distance, arm's length away from me, and she did that when we were kids. And now that's kind of me as an adult. I'm just like, mm-hmm. you can just see from the outside, and like obviously I care about her. I want to know that she's healthy. I want to know like, okay, you're in Brooklyn, you're working, you have a house, you have a, you've got your husband, da, da, da. I don't think she has kids, but I know she's got a boyfriend or husband and Hmm. you know, she's um, doing her thing. And um, if something happens to her, I want to know and um, things like that, but it's never going to be the sister that I wanted and should have I feel I should have had in her. And so that's where it gets, Mm. you know, and I've had to like talk to my mom about it. Like I've had to like had little conversations about it and yeah. Um, so are, are, are you single and (laughs) no, I'm, I'm married. I actually, um, I actually, (laughs) he might kill me for saying it, but, I just asked my my boyfriend John to to marry me last night. I asked him to marry me. <gasps> cool. You heard it here first, folks. 
and he's like you didn't even give me the chance but it's his birthday and so i couldn't wait and i got his present and i couldn't wait and his present was his ring and it was this big thing and i was crying and he was crying and i called his mom right after or texted his mom right after and it was this big thing. And so I asked him to marry me and he said, yes. So we, I'm, I'm amazing. I tell everyone I'm married. I just say I'm getting married and, and we're hopefully going to do that soon enough. But yeah. Am I invited? Totally. You can totally come be the witness. We're going to just go alone. So. <laughs> oh, well, that. are you, are you in California? Are you on the West coast? You don't know where I am? No, I am in the town of Indian head. The province of Saskatchewan, Canada. That's amazing. <laughs> so that is it. so amazing. Okay, no wonder you like my post about sending copies to Canada. I was like, what? <laughs> what is it I have to do? But that's a, and there was a time difference because I was on here at like 9 a.m. California time. And then you got on at like 9 15. You're like, we're 10 minutes early. And I was like, are we 10 minutes early? <laughs> Did I fuck up the time again? No, you didn't fuck up the time. I'm just chilling. So I was just like oh, having okay. coffee and like, you know, smoking a bowl and like just doing my thing. And so <laughs> I was like, oh, I think I might be maybe, you know, and I had my messages open because I was like, maybe something happened or maybe you overslept or I don't know. So I was just oh, chilling. I might have fucked up the time. So that was no, I fucked up because I didn't know you were in fucking Canada and I should have figured that out. But but usually I, I. I have that all figured out. Then I tell people, okay, yeah, we'll meet at 11. But then I know I, I put my calendar nine because it's nine for me or whatever. But Oh, that's so funny. But here's the stupid thing with my province. Actually, it's not stupid. It's amazing. It's like one of the only places on earth we never change our clocks. So depending on what time of year, sometimes California is an hour behind. Sometimes it's two hours behind. Oh. And so... That's daylight savings daylight savings is coming up again so then it's like oh shit i made all these appointments with people in the states so now i have to like recalculate stuff and i'm like god damn it so it's annoying but we're the only people on earth that have it right wow. why do people change their fucking clocks i don't get it that's anyway. so weird yeah i never i've never known anything like that before yeah yeah Canada's so. crazy my friend my friend in canada told me that you guys don't have um cash app and stuff and i was like what like you guys don't have cash app like what the fuck no we have way better shit that's so fucking crazy i'm trying to get up there i grew up on whippy island like 25 minutes from surrey and i've never oh. crossed the border i've never gone over there and now i'm like i don't know what the fuck i'm waiting for i need to just get over there <laughs> well i am um, like two hours north of like Minot, North Dakota. Okay. So, so yeah, wow. I'm like in the middle of in nowhere, kind of. The real middle of Canada. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Um, but I, I've, I, I have a California connection. I have friends that live in Santa Barbara, and we've been there like three or four times. So. Oh I, yeah, it's all, I'm near I'm, Yosemite, so. I'm I'm familiar with California, so. Yeah. yeah. I'm just in but, the, the crappy valley right now. I mean, all, I think all of California is fucking cool, man. <sighs> the, the, well, Fresno's the, not. I mean, Yosemite's cool, and like the surrounding areas of the valley are cool, but but I, I mean, that that Fresno's one state. I know. I still, though, you have access to so much biodiversity from rainforest to desert to ocean to fucking mountains to like it is so cool. Yeah, it's been cool. It's definitely had its benefits. 
you can go to the desert and go skiing in the same day. You know, it's like, yeah, rad. honestly. Yeah. But anyway. pretty neat. That's pretty neat. That kind of stuff is pretty neat. Uh, this probably won't make it into the episode, by the way. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not worried about what does and doesn't. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's your episode, so I don't care. Uh, okay. So, okay. Let's, in conclusion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were talking about, yeah. So you're now engaged. I'm you, engaged. You're cordial with your sister online. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now you've got this book, like what's. What what yeah. what are your hopes for the next year uh, after well, going through all this and and being I'll say in recovery or you recovering? Yeah, no, I definitely would say I feel like recovery is just going to be like lifelong for me. I honestly I feel like it Bravo. is. Bravo. Yeah, because it is. I could fucking tell you. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like recovery is going to be lifelong. It's daily practice. I'm always learning new things. I still struggle so much with um reacting and not res- and and res- not being able to like take a second instead to calm down and then respond i still struggle so much i'm very reactive like not vo- violent or like scary reactive but i just like i'm like i'll emotionally like flip and i just i panic or get sad or i assume things or you know you feel hard yeah, I feel really hard and it's definitely something I have to like watch and keep track of. And, um, I definitely have to be aware of myself and aware of like where I'm directing my energy and how I'm feeling in all areas. Like it's a lot. So it's just, yeah, I feel like recovery is forever. And that's why I love my therapist and shout out Jamie. And I love her so much. And, um, she's changed my life and she's my fucking bestie. Um, my hopes for the future, John, he's my fucking best friend. Hopefully we're going to move up North in the coming months. Um, how North? Uh, well, we want to go to Washington, I think. Mm. And so, um, we'll go there and I have, a another book in the works. I'm going to put out a volume of poetry next year, mm. um, that I've made. And then in 2025, I will be putting out a revised and extended version of raising Amy for the 20 year anniversary of my mom's, um, passing and um that's hopefully more books will come i have so many ideas for books but i'm like execution i'm not sure what i want to actually like focus on it's that time again for that some bunny special a segment where we chat about who cooperated in your mental health journey and helped fulfill your emotional tank brought to you by co-op so amy is there anybody you want to give a shout out to that's that's been there for for you throughout your wacky adventures <laughs> yes um shout out my therapist jamie right on and was it just was she just like in the yellow pages you found her or she, no i honestly one day i i think i just googled i had medical so i was like googling for medical therapists and i found one i didn't even realize i was going to behavioral therapy until i got there and then i was like you know what yeah this is like a hundred percent for me this is actually <laughs> dead ass who i am this is what i need and um I ended up, I had another therapist before her actually, but, um, I'm going to the same company, but, um, Jamie's been my therapist for the last three years and, um, she's, yeah, she's my best friend. She's given me all the tools in the world that I need, um, to navigate. Yeah. 
Awesome. Yeah. It's, uh, it's amazing what, when you decide to be open for healing and open to the universe and accept things that something is trying to show you, I don't want to sound flaky or whatever, but, um, it's amazing once you kind of remove the veil and open your eyes a bit that, you know, you, you're, you're able to accept the things that are being shown to you. And sometimes those are people. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you again, Amy, for sharing your story and for inspiring everybody and, and for being so vulnerable and for writing your book. Please go check that out. Check the show notes. There'll be uh, a link there that you can follow in and find her book, Raising Amy. Next episode, it might be another bonus midweek episode. Uh, one I did the similar thing this week. Uh, and so stay tuned for that. Uh, there might be some announcements coming up here with the podcast, which is very exciting. I'm working with someone else right now. And uh, yeah, yeah, there could be some some cool stuff coming up. So stay tuned for that. If you're on Instagram, feel free to follow me at Bunny Hugs Podcast. And don't forget YouTube, subscribe. You can maybe win some money from co-op. And hey, a real quick thank you and a shout out to my good friends, Taylor and Aaron. Thank you for everything you're doing. And please remember to make your beds and take your meds. Bye. Bye.